Welcome to the Creative Culture Podcast. This is a dialogue with those who are beacons of creative culture and insight, methodologies, and practice. This is the uh, first podcast of 2018 and also the first with my new co-host, Jason Ogle, joining in. Jason, welcome. Thank you, Justin. I am sincerely honored to be a part of this. Thank you for asking me. Oh, please. Uh, the honor is all mine, my friend. Everyone uh, likely knows Jason from his uh, industry-leading User Defenders podcast. He is a, an advocate of uh, user experience, empathy, and uh, inspiration. So uh, you were the perfect fit, Jason. Oh, uh, thank you. Um, today, we also have a very honored guest here. Today, we have Veronica Fossa here. Uh, Veronica is the founder of WeFactory the founder of Meal at Work, the co-author of Visual Feast, a public speaker, and a food experience designer and strategist. Veronica, welcome. Hello, thank you for having me here. Thank you for joining us. Um, you are quite the world traveler. I feel like uh, you know that every time I've spoken with you via email or you know, when we did our own interview, you're in a different place on the planet. Uh, where are you right now, actually? <laughs> yeah, I get this question all the time, actually. Um, and because of that, um, in the past years, I created an hashtag called Always Nomadic. So um, at the moment, I'm in, uh, in the countryside near Venice, Italy. Um, but yeah, I've been, most of my 20s, I've been traveling all around Europe. And I can't tell you how many SIM cards I have by now. Um, <laughs> yeah. So uh, everybody's really like trying to, to catch me and because of all these travelings at, at this point it's like, it feels that Europe is pretty small, you know, I can easily hop on a train and do some work in Milan or just get on the, on the plane and, and, and do a workshop in Helsinki, Finland. Yeah, but it's mostly Europe. Okay, okay. Well, the last time I was in Venice, uh, I was interested, the locals... Uh, kind of cited that well, not many people actually live in Venice. People kind of come into the city, the tourists come in, and then people like kind of leave at night, and no one actually lives centralized. Is is that is that accurate? Yeah, absolutely. I lived in Venice during my my bachelor, and I remember uh, at around like seven p.m. when it would get dark, there is nobody around. It's kind of fascinating. It's one of the most beautiful cities in the world, I believe, and also like great airport to fly in and out. Especially when you take the left seat. <laughs> <laughs> so it sounds like Colorado Springs, just the uh, 7 p.m. thing. I can't even get a, a cup of coffee after 7 p.m. around here. It's really weird. Is that um, right? Yes, it's it's really strange. I don't know why, but uh, a lot of the co a lot of the coffee houses close at like seven or eight around here. Even the Starbucks. It's really wow. odd. I don't understand why, but. I think the um, the pot places stay open pretty late, though. That's, <laughs> that's shocking. That's, that's... <laughs> yeah, it's shocking, right? Yeah. Um, but anyway. Yeah, um, what do people do then? What's that? I'm sorry, Veronica? Yeah, what do people do at that time then? Uh, they like to partake of the ganja, apparently, out here. <laughs> Um, <laughs> no, this is, uh, we have, a, there's a, quite a bit of beauty here too, but I would love to visit Italy one day. I think that I'm actually a little uh, jealous listening to that and I yeah. want to get there one day. Uh, that's where Espresso, where we got our Espresso from and, uh, Howard Schultz, uh, Starbucks CEO, this is like a, a really probably useless fact, but he brought, kind of brought the Espresso culture over here to America after a visit to Italy. Yeah. Welcome. Please come. <laughs> right. On the bucket list now. I'm going to drink cat poop coffee, and I'm going to go to Italy one day. Awesome. Oh, there you go. Good Justin list. has some. 
<laughs> downing it as we speak, folks. Yeah. Uh, Veronica, you have a beautiful quote that supports your mission statement, and I'll quote, we want to change how eating at work is designed. We believe that people have the right to be in spaces designed for their needs, not the other way around. People are at the heart of everything we do. We use human-centered design methodology and design thinking to uncover human insights, end quote. I love that. Um, a lot of words there near, to, near and dear to my heart, Veronica, and, and directly correlated to user experience design at a micro level and creative culture at a macro. Well, all that said, can you tell us what you what WeFactory does? Yeah, um, so WeFactory is a workplace food design studio dedicated to foster creative culture and leadership while improving, improving the overall food quality. I actually started WeFactory in Helsinki in 2014, um, so I lived there at the time. And uh, it was a uh, food experience design agency with a kind of a broad, a broad scope. And um, since the start, um, I've been doing different projects and uh, designing different concepts for uh, food festivals, music festivals, schools in around seven to ten countries. But uh, because I've always been fascinated by work culture, in 2017 I decided to relaunch it with a new scope and um, with a new different, with a different perspective. So the starting point is that um, we actually spend around 97,000 hours at work which is actually an incredible amount of hours of our lives. But also, like re according to the latest studies, we know that only um, around 13% of employees are engaged worldwide. So that's kind of like, that's really, really low um, statistics. Yeah. So, um, yeah, and I think lots of people are not that... Um, they just work in a place and they stick to that place because there are, of course, different constraints, like you need to pay for a mortgage, you have your family, and, and so on. But nowadays it has become quite popular that um, people want to work in places that, are, that have a healthy culture. So that's what we have been discussing with Justin before. And I think because we are spending longer and longer hours at work, then food is becoming an important part of um, work-based culture and a way for companies to reinforce their identity, mission statements and, uh, and philosophy. And of course, like to, you know, nourish their people and retain their talents. So to do that, what we do, we usually, uh, we use experience design and um, every project and every um, consulting actually starts from understanding the users. So basically, who are the people who are working there? What are their needs? Um, what is the company culture and what are they trying to achieve? What is the space and what is the interaction between people? As well as like how people um, interact with the space, how do they use it, um, which kind of activities they conduct. And basically we connect this um, user experience methodology to the type of food culture that we're going to develop in that space. So it's some kind of like, it can be, um, little seed and that develops into kind of a long uh, process that continues in like creating the concept and then prototyping the concept and measuring the type of result that we are going that we are going to have so yeah in that sense studies have also showed that um, what we eat uh, affect our productivity and uh, and in a way food because 
because it's a creative process, um, you know, the way that we combine the ingredients and what we cook and how we eat it. Um, it's basically a way to, to spark creative culture. And, uh, and of course, it's a good excuse to bring people together. So, yeah, like I, I didn't realize, like I never put that much thought into how important food is in bringing people together. Uh, mm -hmm. So I think that's a really, really fascinating. There's a lot to take away from that and a lot to kind of like consider, um, you know, uh, in, in, in how we can do that in our workplace. And, and I know we're going to talk more about that, but I just find it very fascinating. And, and I want to throw something out there, too, real quick. It's there's a, an artist named Andrew Bell. I don't know if you guys have heard of him. He's really he's, he's a great songwriter, but he actually like he thinks so much about this stuff that he actually started a podcast. Um, and I, I don't know if he's going to get past the, the, the five or seven five to seven episode mark justin i know you're going to thank you brother um yes but um you know but but anyway he's got like five or six episodes out there right now and and what it is it's called stemma and and what he does is he talks to other artists about uh their favorite meal even from like childhood and what that and and what kind of memories that stirs up and 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 stories behind that and i it's just really fascinating so i think it's maybe kind of a nice takeaway for the listeners to check out it's called stemma mm, that's amazing Veronica, a lot of that process almost sounds, you know, when you're, uh, if you're running a, a project and you're in the, the early phases, it almost sounds like a discovery slash, you know, user interview kind of process where you're kind of digging in, you're kind of putting a, a, a soul to any personas you might be developing, and, and you're actually, you know, analyzing people as well as the physical space. What is that process like, kind of? Are you doing just a walk around? Are you taking lots of photos and putting them on a board of the space. How do you determine what is the most conducive to, you know, energy kind of flowing in, in a healthy creative culture? Yeah, um, actually that depends very much on the scope, but there are different methodologies that could be used. Uh, we use um, user interviews, we might use focus groups, but we also walk around and trying to get an idea of the flow. Um, so we visit a workplace many times during a day and it might happen that we return like the week after uh, to see whether something has changed. Uh, we look at the um, atmospheric design, so the smells and the colors and um, the vibe. It's something very intangible, but it can be quite uh, quite tangible. And then as well, like we taste the food. So as compared to a UX uh, process, like when you are developing something uh, digital product, when it comes to food, it's quite physical. Uh, so that's that that part is super super important. And then as well, we try to understand like uh, whether people eat at work or whether they go out or if they bring some food with them and which kind of food it is. Um, and Jason was mentioning about the, uh, about the memories. Uh, memories are super, super important because when I think about, for instance, one of my first um, memories of food in the workplace, it's, uh, it's coffee. I'm going to talk about this. All right. Um, yeah. Now, I, now we're talking. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. And um, so everybody has a certain memory associated with with food in the workplace. It's not that obvious, but you know, as we spend as we spend basically uh, more time at work than in our home, except you know because we are sleeping at least uh, six to eight nine hours. Um, then it's quite important. Everybody's going to eat at work. Everybody does. And as, as well as everybody, you know, needs to use toilet or needs to use, uh, it's just part of uh, ourselves being humans. 
Yeah, this is really interesting, Veronica. Like, I, I, I'm really curious how food, and you're, you're, you're touching on it a little bit, but I want to dive a little deeper here. Like, how does desktop dining and your meal at work program, how does it facilitate workplace satisfaction and engagement? Yeah, uh, so basically desktop dining, um, it's a terminology um, that means uh, this lifestyle related to eating at the desktop. And there was an interesting um, research conducted by the New York Times magazines in 2016, uh, which showed that basically 62% of Americans eat at their desks. So it's quite, uh, it's basically six people out of 10. Um, and we Raising my hand. <laughs> I do too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, everybody of us actually get into that at some point. We might just do it just, you know, unconsciously or because we have a meeting in that time or because we need to end some work and so on. But I think because of my, uh, my Italian background, um, we always had the habit to stop. You know, we always, uh, now that I work quite a lot at home, we have a break and we cook something together. Maybe the lunch break is even a bit longer, but it's a way to actually share what we have been working on and or our challenges. It's it's some kind of like moment when we, we share something. We just leave work aside for a moment and we just get very um sometimes vulnerable or sometimes like, you know, comfortable with each other. But, um, but that situation was basically the starting point of, uh, of male work. We noticed that too many people were um, very lonely um, at work and um, people were unhappy, people were stressed. Uh, so we thought, okay, what can we do about it? Can we create some kind of program? Create, can we create some kind of format, lunch format, so that people would get together? So we decided to launch Meal at Work uh, on November uh, 17th um, last year. And we decided for uh, a topic, and the topic was gratitude. So uh, I basically we did it in a way uh, that was sort of um, old-fashioned perhaps, but I decided to reach out to um, contacts in my, in my network and I told them, hey, we have this initiative, we want you to participate. And actually we had around 19 workplaces in all continents. So we had a workplace in Melbourne, we had a, a UN mission in Mali, um, workplaces in Russia, in Berlin, Barcelona, University in Atlanta. Um, we had um, London, Berlin, uh, Helsinki, all different workplaces. And basically what we did was we created a uh, template. It was a toolkit um, in which we explained what people were going to do. And uh, we advised on the type of food that they would they would cook or that they would bring, bring from home and so on. Um, and then there was a designated host who was to who was to facilitate the interaction. So the main idea for me at work was to improve the food, the food quality, and bring people together in a context that was um, intimate, but also very um, inclusive. Um, and very comfortable for people. So it went really well, uh, but we also recognized that there were certain challenges like um, that the host 
weren't always um, acting as hosts or they didn't know how to facilitate regardless of uh, all the information that we shared over the toolkit. So we decided to actually rethink the whole, the whole idea and um, we're going to relaunch it in the next couple of months. And the idea is actually to um, focus the conversation about topics that are so um, modern and related to work. And the idea is to talk about mental health or gender gap, um, inclusion, diversity, and so on. And then we want to combine it with a database of companies who have a good uh, practice about eating well in the workplace. I'm curious how this works as far as, uh, is this something that sort of you communicate out to your folks at work? Like, we're going to do this, we're going to have lunch together, and, and is it kind of like an opt-in thing and that folks kind of come in and, and eat together. Like I'm, I'm curious about that aspect of it. And, 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 and the other part of it is I'm sure with each of us, there's, you know, there's certain folks that we work with that we may not instinctually want to eat lunch with, <laughs> but, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, but the, on the other side of the coin, I just think like this is such a, a smart idea because what better way to increase empathy for your fellow coworkers, for your fellow humans. Can you speak to that? Yeah. Um, yeah, so basically um, the toolkit includes um, templates, email templates and suggestions to invite people, to involve people. I think the key point here is to communicate. Um, and we had a lot of thoughts about um, the people who decided to sign up. Um, it was an initiative that was very welcome from the bottom uh, up. Uh, so it started really from employees rather than the other way around. Oh, that's so um, cool. Yeah, so that was pretty. That was pretty cool, and it was quite unsurprising to me that it happened that way and not the other way around. Um, but then. Uh, like the whole toolkit includes different type of information uh, related to how to involve um, co-workers, how to include them, how to communicate about the food and who is going to cook or who is going to, to get the ingredient. But also um, some suggestions related to the space. So uh, we just, we kept it pretty loose because considering the geographical difference, there were people basically uh, you know, in Australia, that's summer now, and uh, for us in the northern hemisphere, hemisphere is winter. So, of course, in Australia, people had a picnic, and that was totally fine. So we just like kept it pretty open. And then, because the topic was gratitude, then we gave some kind of um, um, games, I would call them, and different exercises that people could do around the table. Um, we decided to do it, to do it on a Friday because in many uh, workplaces they have convivial uh, lunches, or um, so it was quite easy to get people like to slow down before the weekend. Um, and for the next round of uh, millet work, we, we are going to create different toolkits on different topics and work together with um, workplace happiness experts and uh, experts in their own fields. So let's say mental health or, uh, as I mentioned earlier, like diversity and so on. That's awesome. In a creative culture... You know, you've you've you and I have discussed this, and we've had a, a really good dialogue around this before. What is the role actually of the table in a thriving creative culture? Yeah, I think uh, the starting point is to um, define what creative culture can be. 
from my perspective, a creative culture is a place where we have the permission and we feel safe enough to uh, try and fail and try again um, and experiment with ideas and experiment with concepts. And especially for uh, people who do creative work, but uh, not only, it's uh, quite important to uh, live in a creative culture and to experience a creative culture. And the table for me, it's um, it's I've been I've been you know I've been thinking about this as well, and uh, um, I because I I changed so many apartments during my my travels, I also recognized that. Uh, for me in a home, there should be a bed and a table. That's just, those two furniture is just like the starting point. And the table is the place where you can accomplish so many different activities. Um, you can get together with other people. Uh, you can cook, um, you can eat together, but you can also uh, do different work. You can read. Um, so it, it's a place really that um, where the creative culture happens. So when we think as well like about about uh, about meetings, um, lots of meetings take place around the table. But the question is that is that used for a thriving creative culture or is that used for 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 something else? So when I think about um, Italian culture and our way of uh, cooking and uh, and eating, the table is basically that place where you bring the ingredients. Um, and when you cook, you prepare a recipe and you cook something with, with other people. And very often, like when I had to explain what design thinking is, I think about uh, creating a recipe because basically the process is it, it, it's just the same. You know, you're looking for the end the result might be that you want to cook, let's say, um, pasta with tomatoes, just to give a really uh, easy example. But then uh, to get ingredients, you need to go to a certain shops or to a certain market, and then you select ingredient, and then you eat the ingredients, and then you bring the ingredients together, and then you try, and then you see that okay, this doesn't really have doesn't doesn't work really well, so maybe I should change ingredients. And that continues, it's basically like trial and error, and every time you try, you don't get the same type of results. So in a way, like cooking becomes um, becomes the same process of uh, design thinking or the same design process that we, we have in most of our works. That's that's phenomenal. So that in uh, a physical sense, um, that makes perfect sense to me. In, in a metaphorical sense, um, I want to p- kind of poke around there as well. So one of the many uh, supporting pillars of the book, uh, Cultivating a Creative Culture, and, and just a healthy and engaging work, workplace broadly, is that idea of egalitarianism. So everyone having a seat at the table, uh, metaphorically or physically, and a voice of equal value. So in your concept of reimagining the workplace through your initiatives, you cite creating opportunities for the less represented, ultimately giving a voice to those who don't. Um, that, that, that's, that's a really big topic and something that's, uh, you know, of course, paramount to discuss. How do you go about accomplishing something like that? Yeah, um, I'm, gonna, I'm going to give you an example. It's much easier, I think, to understand it. A few years back, um, I did a project in, um, in a network of schools uh, in the north of Italy, and the task was to redesign the uh, food uh, the food service to the to the babies. It was basically like um, 
babies aged from four months to three years. Um, and the idea was like to redesign the whole, uh, the whole food service to be, um, first of all, the food to be better, but as well to create some kind of like standard amongst the network. So they were about 18 different schools uh, with different standards, uh, with different cooks and different um, uh, food suppliers. So to do that, um, we use the um, user experience methodology and we gather a team of representatives from the different schools. And those were teachers, uh, cooks and janitors. So basically different people were involved with the service in different uh, stages. And, and because of that, um, everybody had to contribute and um, and the food, the food um, the redesign the food service became a way to um, break down hierarchies because we recognized that basically, as we were talking about food, of course, cooks knew better than teachers. But then again, the teachers were serving the food to the babies. So they had the end users experience. While on the other hand, the cooks had the, they were basically at the starting point of the, um, the circle. And then the janitors had a different experience because they were talking very often with the parents and as well as, as the teachers. So in that sense, um, that type of experience actually showed me that by redesigning the food, um, you can bring different uh, perspective to to the table and to get people involved in different different ways so you know when you're when you're getting people to the table and you're trying to um, remove all the hierarchies everybody has a space and everybody can contribute and also um, the starting point was quite challenging, I would say. And uh, to do that, I used an exercise um, that was quite, um, for them, quite frustrating in the beginning and uh, quite challenging because we are talking about adults. And uh, what I did was to use, uh, to make them play uh, and to make them draw apples. So just imagine, you know, you have 40 people and uh, 40 women, all adults, and you're asking them to draw apples for 25 minutes. And of course, they are like, OK, sure, fine, we're going to draw apples. Are you kidding me? Seriously, you're going to come here to do a training and to help us redesign the food is our food service and you're going to draw apples. So basically that exercise and by playing with food without any waste, um, we basically got to the point in which everybody uh, looked at each other at the same level. That's great. That's great for uh, kind of uh, breaking down barriers of anyone you know, kind of coming in there with levels of hierarchy, like you stated. I mean, everyone's kind of doing the same, you know, pseudo silly opportunity of breaking down barriers of hierarchies and, and, and you know, that egalitarianism is baked into that concept, but just broadly the value of play and refocusing your thinking not, I mean, during the day, of course, but also to like kind of re refocus people and get them charged into the activity you're doing. That, that's that's a beautiful concept. Did people seem to gravitate towards that? Were they were they a little uh, haughty about that at the beginning, or did people just kind of dive right in? Yeah, I mean, in the beginning, they were just like uh, when I got there. I remember they were sort of the the table, the room setup was basically frontal. They were just, they prepared the tables just to um, to be in front of me. And I just changed it 
all the way around and I ask them to um, actually move away all the tables and to work in little groups and they were not used to that at all. So when I, when I told them like, hey, we're, gonna, we're going to uh, do this together because you have the knowledge, I'm just going to help you um, get all this information, to dig all this information and to understand where you're going and what your problem was. Because in the beginning, I didn't even know exactly what the problem was in the food service. Um, so when I when I told them to draw apples, and now we are talking about region famous for apples, they were like, no way, no way. I mean, um, halfway through, people were like, seriously? No, no, this 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 can happen, <laughs> but um, but yeah, and then they became really creative, you know. From apples, uh, they started drawing orchards, and then people in the orchards. It became quite quite um, creative, and after that, I I asked them to draw passion fruits, and at that moment, they were like, "What passion fruit? How does that look like?" So you know, it was that was the starting point but we really needed to play that way um, to actually get people involved but also like to get them um, you know to create that sense of uh, vulnerability and to create that kind of that openness because after that we I was able to um, understand as well who was the leader and who was more like following and then um, we basically um, try to understand with the food that they that they created um, as well as like babies preferences because of course we couldn't ask the babies if they liked the food or not so right. all the work was to be mm -hmm. done by the adults so that was an extra challenge yeah I decided to use this example in my uh, TEDx talk um, as an example of how by playing with food you can reset um, hierarchies in a corporate culture beautiful isn't it weird how we feed children the worst crap, like at school? Isn't that? I, I do. You guys ever think about that? And then we wonder why the kids are hyperactive or maybe misbehaving or, like, I just I don't know. This maybe it's a little unrelated or maybe not. I don't know. But I I just I wonder why that is. And I know that thankfully there's been some movements toward changing like school uh, cafeteria foods and things like that. And and uh, thanks to Mer Morgan Spurlock, McDonald's has made a lot of changes um, on their menu as well. And I, I don't know. I just, I, I wonder why that is. And then I also think about, you know, uh, how when we eat healthy, we feel healthy and we feel better. Right. And we, and we kind of tend to, we perform better too. It's like we, we don't treat food, I think as much as the fuel as it should be. I think we kind of maybe abuse that. And I think it comes out in how we live our lives, how we act in our workplace and how we treat others around us. Yeah, I think it's totally it is totally related. You yeah. know, the funny the funny thing, and I think the most sad part is that in the places where we um, the places where we grow and the places where we are the most vulnerable are the places where the play, the food is the worst. Mm -hmm. So we can think about schools, we can think about hospitals. Uh, I don't know if you ever had experience with food in, in hospitals, but very yeah, often yes. it's really bad. Mm -hmm. and for, yeah, unfortunately, it should be the other way around because, of course, that 
that's the idea behind uh, behind um, We Factory and Meal at Work is really to change workplace food. I've been talking with so many people and everybody's complaining about the food and about the drinks and about the coffee. But um, in a way, it's it's never been, you know, at the, the most important thing, though, of course, like uh, there are really few pillars of our um, that keep us alive and going and you think about sleep you think about food you know shelter so those are the basic uh, that's at the basic uh, level of our of the maslow pyramid of needs mm. but still like in, in all those places food is really bad yeah but i hope it's gonna change like there is some change uh, happening already already since a few years uh, from jamie oliver in the uk and mm. the us as well um changing um food in, in school cafeterias so the hope is that it's gonna that is gonna change as well, like in hospitals and and workplace. We are gonna try to do that. And that change is also coming from a person named Veronica Fossa. If I said that, <laughs> you're not right. So thank you for what you're doing, Veronica, in this. And uh, speaking of another pillar, uh, which is really important to to all three of us, that's a good cup of coffee, and that's the value of it. Um, I happen to be a specialty coffee roaster. Justin has written a piece in 96 Degrees magazine on what a cup of coffee yields for him at different points of the day. And for you, Veronica, I know that there's an innate value as well. Can you talk about that? Yes, I love coffee. Mm. I'm so happy about the specialty coffee movement. Me Great. too. <laughs> Justin? Me three. Oh, yeah. Goes unsaid. <laughs> All right. It's amazing. Um, when I think about coffee and the workplace, you know, when earlier we were talking about food memories, my uh, first food memory in the workplace is about coffee. And actually, at that time, um, I was 17 and I was in the UK for an internship. And one of the first days, my uh, my manager asked me to prepare co- a cup of coffee for her. So I got to the to the kitchen to this tiny uh, cupboard, and what I find is a box. So it's this tiny a tiny box with um, I think there was Nescafe written on it. And I'm like, all right, she wants a coffee. So I brew her a cup of coffee, and I return. I didn't know really how she wanted, um, and because. Uh, I'm Italian and all I was familiar with before was actually espresso and the coffee that we make with uh, with mocha, the coffee pot. So when I when I brewed this cup of coffee, I was like, um, I tried to make it very dark because that was the familiar, the color that I was familiar with. So when I returned back to her, she was like, uh-uh, no, no, please do it again. So I go back to the kitchen and I make another cup of coffee for her, more or less like the same the same way. And then I return and she's like, no way, do it again. So I think I did it like three or four or four times. And then she was like, okay, you, you know nothing. I will just help myself. So this was the first experience of, um, this first memory of um, food in the workplace. And that was coffee. And this example is like, I think quite explicative um, about the different cultures that we have uh, related to related to coffee, as, as well as this could have been used as a, um, as a way for her to introduce me to her culture. But in a way, like she didn't really, um, she didn't really try uh, to show me how that was done. Um, so yeah, and I think um, you know, coffee. It's quite. Uh, I drink coffee like 
three times a day. Uh, and um, until that time, until I was 21 or so, uh, so until the time when I moved to the Nordic countries, I was familiar with espresso mostly. And then when I moved to, to Helsinki um, and in that place, um, there started to be uh, coffee shops and the, um, the specialty coffee movement. Then I became familiar with different uh, types of brewing methods, uh, V60, Aeropress and uh, all, the different, all the different ones. And I took a few as well, like a few um, coffee courses at Coffee Collective in uh, Copenhagen. Um, and then coffee really became a big part of um, a big part of my life. And what I like about coffee are two things. Um, the first thing is related to to quality. Um, the movement of specialty coffee really um, is about uh, transparency in the process, um, fairness as well. Um, and I think it's one of the first uh, products that got so much attention and that has totally revolutionized the way people drink and also the type of coffee that is uh, that is brought to our table. And in a way, I hope that will that that will happen for tea as well um, in an in a near future. And then again, coffee for me is about socializing. Um, it's about the interaction that you have with the barista. I was really fascinated um, by the way, for instance, in this uh, in the specialty coffee um, cafe, you have the machine that is basically um, in between the barista and you. So you can have that type of interaction while in the, mo while in the most traditional um, bar in Italy, you have the machine that is, well, the barista is giving you the back. So it's a totally different type of interaction, but then again, you have coffee at the counter so you always have this small chat hmm. with the person. So it's really fascinating. Like it's quite different, but then again, um, the specialty coffee movement is more about slow, and the Italian way of drinking coffee is more. It's uh, in a way faster, but it's always uh, related to a social interaction. So it's quite amazing. Uh, you know, it's uh, it's a whole uh, world of experiences and uh, and people. That's what I love about coffee. It it really does bring people together. And uh, I've I think one of my most satisfying experiences as a roaster, uh, and I'm a just a private roaster. I really just roast for myself and just for other friends and stuff. But one of the most satisfying things that I've seen is people who actually despised coffee traditionally, uh, thanks to commercial coffees like Folgers and things like. You know, it smells so good, and then when you actually taste it, you're like, "Oh my gosh, what is this?" Um, but uh, just seeing people people's eyes light up when they drink like a really good cup of coffee, and and just going like, "I didn't know coffee could be this good," and you know, and I, I don't even want to put creamer in it. I don't want to ruin it. Like things like that. Like it's and it's it just it creates conversation, you know, and and it's it's a stimulant too, which is which helps as well. And um, but uh, I, I, I a quick story I want to tell just about. Uh, coffee, a personal co uh, coffee story here. I was bumping heads with a developer at work for a long time. And, um, and they're just the personality challenges and things like that. And, um, and, and one day I just felt like, you know what, I'm going to invite him to coffee. And I, I did, I extended an invite to him to go and have coffee. And we have a, a pretty good place. It's just down the street. It's a nice little walk in Denver. And, uh, and so we did that. We, we walked together to the coffee place and, uh, and, and we talked and, and the talk was all, it was personal stuff. 
we started with personal things, you know, Hey, tell me about your family. Uh, you know, Oh, you're going to, you know, you're going to out of state to visit and tell us about what that, tell me about what that was like growing up and things like that. And, and, and then, you know, just having that coffee together. And of course I paid, you know, you pay for the coffee and, um, it, it just, it opened up so many doors. I can't even tell you like ever since that day, everything has been different with this person ever since then. And it was all because I, I, a, I felt like there's, I felt some empathy and like, I know there's hope. I know we can change things. I know we have the power to change things and change relationships. And I took the step to put something on the calendar and, uh, and then we had a great conversation and it changed everything. So I just, I, I really feel like there's so much value in, in coffee and, and, and also just in taking that step, that small step, just to, just to do what you can to, to make that relationship better. I mean, there are, there are entire, uh, magazines and, and, you know, um, books written about coffee culture and its value that, that that's a f- phenomenal story jason but um you know the value of coffee it it, it pacifies it slows you down it it, it yes. serves as a, a social window to, you know like you just said the lowering boundaries it, it it's a fuel yeah. at, at, at the latter part of the day it's just that simple cup of coffee moved throughout different points of the day serves so many different points of, of, of value um it, it's incredible and i've never genuinely appreciated coffee culture until, you know, I, I traveled uh, kind of extensively to uh, Sweden and Stockholm and, uh, you know, uh, the, the value of fika and, and these people kind of coming together, stopping their entire day, having human-centered interactions. Um, you know, a lot of people uh, bake that into their contracts in Sweden. If, that, if I don't have my fika, then, you know, this is not a place <laughs> I want to be employed at. And that, that, that simple concept is just such a simple, beautiful, human-centered thing. I think the value just cannot be understated. Mm. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think as well, like in, in certain cultures, it's just uh, in some kind of like intrinsic part of the way that you live. So sometimes you don't even need to explain that it just happens. So that's also like something amazing about uh, about Fico or about our Italian way of drinking coffee. Like you don't need to explain, just, OK, let's go for coffee and that's it. Um, I mean, that, that just happens. So it's kind of amazing and everybody's up for it. So, yeah, I, I do have some closing thoughts, actually. And this this whole conversation has been so inspiring for me, uh, Veronica. And I just appreciate everything you're doing to make a difference here. And you are. Um, here's some closing thoughts. I just kind of jotted a couple things down as we were talking here. And um, healthy food makes healthy people. When you feel good, you're happier. And you want others around you to feel good and be happier, too. Uh, a quote I borrowed from Sean Stevens, hurt people hurt people. So eat together more, team activities, increase empathy and trust, um, invite someone from work, especially someone you've been at odds with to coffee who's not like you. Talk about non-work things first. It will change everything and be that small step toward a better workplace culture. No, I think we, we covered uh, a lot of topics. Um, I think uh, the for people who are skeptical um, about this, uh, this suggestion is to give it a try um, and just to be open uh, for it. And as you said, like invite somebody who, who you don't know or who you don't have the, didn't have the chance to talk much with. Um, in many of our programs, actually, that's that's one that's one challenge that we give to people. Um, it, when you when you sit down together, it's so much easier. To start talking about you can about something you can start talking about what's on the plate and what you like and what you don't like. Just the 
most immediate icebreaker. So food is amazing. Tremendous. Well, I'd like to uh, thank you both uh, for joining us today. Uh, thank you, of course, Veronica, for taking the time to uh, to talk with Jason and myself. Um, we really uh, just, you know, between us, of course, we uh, incredibly value what you're doing for human-centered interactions at the office and in terms of uh, introducing empathy, uh, augmenting creative culture. Your, your business model is absolutely unique and uh, kind of beautifully simple. So uh, thank you again for talking to Thanks. us. Yeah. Thank you so much. And uh, also, uh, you know, thanks to uh, really quick, uh, our mutual friend, uh, Dave McGinnis, the uh, brilliant designer from Oslo, who uh, introduced me to Veronica. So a shout out to Dave as well. And uh, Jason, thank you for joining me for our first podcast together and looking forward to many more. Uh, likewise. I, I just want to say one more thing. Humans are so much more than resources. <laughs> <laughs>